0: Listen to your favorite podcasts on any device with Pocket Casts. You can start an episode on your phone during your commute, pick up where you left off on your laptop at work, then finish at home on a smart speaker like Alexa without missing a beat. Download the free Pocket Casts app today for Android or iOS. Find us online at PocketCast.com or use the app on Alexa, Chromecast, Sonos, Apple Watch, and CarPlay.
1: What does it all mean? <laughs> Hello and welcome to Flint Off, Savage and the Ping Pong Guy. That's what Robbie and Freddie called me, Matthew Side. It seems to have stuck slightly disappointingly. We got some meaty discussions this week international football, the 10,000 hour theory of top performance, ticket prices in football. But before we get cracking, thank you for getting in touch through the week using the hashtag FredSavSide. And Freddie, as we always do, let's start with what we've been up to over the course of the last few days. I know you often cry any more tears oh, or what has been going. Well on?
2: this is becoming a bit of a segment, this crying. And I nearly did on Saturday. <laughs> I really nearly did. I was watching the voice. Oh no, you Listen, I was watching the voice, and there's this 40-year-old backing singer comes on. She sang a beautiful rendition of this song, Powerful Voice. And then they went to Will I Am and Will I Am was talking about what it meant to his uncle. And I could see Will. I am welling up. I'm sat on my couch. I'm welling up again over Will. I am welling up. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> but I've, I've, had, um, I've had a few things on this week. I've oh, a busy week, haven't you, mate? Busy week. I was at Buckingham Palace on Friday, Matthew. Wow. Yeah, I wasn't getting an upgrade on the MBE. <laughs> I'm doing this thing with um, Prince Harry and Prince William on yep. mental health. Yeah. A big initiative. So we, we turn up to the palace. You get old in an old in area while Harry turns up. There's a line of people. Harry comes over. He starts talking nicely to these two lads from Preston. From Preston, mm-hmm. One's an ambulance driver about mental health and thank you for doing the videos you've done like I do. I did one with Professor Green. He has a chat with Professor Green. He chats to two women next to me who met in the park after having babies. Has a lovely chat. Mm-hmm. So I'm still doing a missus thinking, you know, we're going to have a chat about this. He rinsed me what did he say? He rinsed me. He says, oh, oh, um, Freddie, I, I really enjoyed your video. We're thinking about getting subtitles so people can understand it. I think, I I've got a minute, oh, sh- mate. I'm doing you a favour Yes. Oh, sh- so he, he opens with that. The only thing that came into my mind was saying, I speak the Queen's English. But that <laughs> doesn't work. It's his grand. So I, I thought, I'm not saying that. And then he followed it up. He says, oh, you look very smart in a suit, a three-piece suit. I thought he was going to do a Jack and More gag. So I got rinsed. I'd go in and on the back foot.
3: I can't believe a ginger i to go another ginger.
2: Hey, I know, we're meant to be a brotherhood. <laughs> <But this is laughs> the Ginger Brothers.
1: You're getting quite interested, aren't you, in issue. I mean, I was actually invited to that function, but I got stuck in the traffic back from Bristol. And but it's an incredibly good project. And that issue of mental health is one that you've
2: taken on board and you're really running with. I am, yeah. It's something which I suffer from. I've I've got no qualms in talking about it. Yep. And people say they want to break down the stigma. I, I struggle with that word stigma a little bit. If you say stigma, it seems as it is a problem, mm. right? I don't see it is. And Prince Harry's got a load of people from different backgrounds and Prince William to do videos which are going to be shown online in the next few weeks. I tell you what, though, in Prince Harry's defence, he's got a bit about him, hasn't he? Yeah, I like it. He really has. He he walks in, he's got a charisma about him. Mm, And there's none of them hers and graces. He's just one of the lads. And he's doing some amazing things. He got up and spoke. And everyone, not just because he's a prince, just listens to what he says. And the way he puts it across... Although he's got a big house in London and he's not shy of a few bob. Yeah. He is bizarrely
1: quite a normal lad. And when you think of the bubble the scrutiny for yeah. him to be who he is and spontaneous and funny, I agree with you. I'm a massive fan. Bobby you, you Savage. Savage. Hey. Bobby hey, you know, Savage. You, know, you were supposed well, to be there. The scrutiny. Yeah. yeah. You
3: eating. were supposed to be at Buckingham Palace. Yeah, I was in years. Who because... served the drinks in the end? <laughs> hey.
2: <laughs> <laughs> What have, so what have you been doing? What, what have you been, you been doing? doing Rob? Well, I've, I can see you've had your headphones yeah. are killing it. It's quite a air blow dry. You, uh-huh. you been for a blow dry? in um, your not Well, I was in. Go oh, uh, go uh, red. You've yeah, been for a blow dry. Yeah, yeah, I
3: have. I have got, you know, I've had a little trim. Um, well, I've had nothing this week, been off, but um, I had my car washed, but it ended up costing me two hundred seventy quid because right? I had my house washed at the same time. Right? It's bizarre. Yeah, it's bizarre. I, uh, that's, Seriously. That's so script. I've got a white rendered house, right? Right. And you know, with the rain, we live in an area which is surrounded by. Um, fields and gr- grass and stuff,
2: <laughs> right, trees. No, seriously, this is a nightmare. i tell you what, Rob, you're doing nothing seriously. for the stereotype of <laughs> yeah. footballers yeah. being <laughs> thick.
3: I've got a bit of OCD, right? So my house, very old note, is rendered white. It it's, is rendered it's white. k And what happens is when we have bad weather, if you leave the house, it goes green. What, if you stay in, does it not go green? <laughs> 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 it goes green. So all the walls, uh-huh. with the rain and, the, and all the dew and everything goes green what, if you leave like it, algae yes it stains the house so the guy came round and cleaned my car the other day so he clean, he jet washed my house as well so the the car was 20 quid and the house was 250 quid probably I the love worst, probably the worst. so the house is clean now
2: I love these well, first world problems yeah, exactly. Matthew saying what have you been up to
1: yeah what well, probably the worst story we've had so far <laughs> true, that's the what, what house okay well let's crack on oh, with he, topic oh, number he's one not telling
2: us what have you, you done? done what have you done
1: well he's had
2: his head, I, head I, clean he's had his head jet washed i green off his clean polished
1: hey as you know Last week, I was in Dubai. Oh, yes. I had a speech to give out there. And I have to yeah, acknowledge ruined, ruined you too. The, two. the <laughs> line went down. I had to use the phone. You guys rolled with it brilliantly. And I was mortified about the fact yeah. that the you're quality upset, of the you? line wasn't good. Who was, and this is something that will really transmit what Robbie Savage is really like. Half an hour after leaving the studio, the first person on the phone is Robbie. He said, Matthew, I know you're feeling really bad about it. Don't worry. It was a technical
2: issue. Wow. We fully support you. Did
1: what you? a lovely, hey. empathetic, yeah. decent...
2: Yeah. Uh, I was yeah. slagging you off to so anyone who'd listen. <laughs> couldn't even be bothered coming to Manchester in <laughs> Dubai, sat in his ivory tower, pontificating on all the editing subjects. He's changed, Matthew Said. If okay. you don't like Ping Pong Guy, we'll call you Skeletor. I don't <laughs> mind. Or Big Nose. <laughs> peng- yeah? or, or the Penguin. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> okay, topic number one. Now, this is
1: massive. Fred, you went on a rant this time last week about ticket prices in football. It's been viewed three million times. And this is what we're going to debate. Are ticket prices too high? What can be done about it? Fred, over to you.
2: Right, we got into the ticket prices last week. And it's fair to say I've had a little bit of a bee in my bonnet about this. And I came up with an argument. Let's be honest, footballers aren't going to give away any of their money to subsidise ticket prices. But now, I've changed it a little bit. I don't think they have to. Mm -hmm. I think ticket prices are so high. I'm not just talking football. I'm talking cricket. Mm. I'm talking boxing. I'm not going to talk rugby because I'm not bothered, right? Because they, they sit out the back of the Range Rovers. They spend more on a bottle of wine than what? Oh, <laughs> there's a pass in the There's a bloody good pheasant, there. So the rugby lot, they can go rugby league is very different. But football, mm-hmm. I have got a problem with football prices mm. to begin with, especially Arsenal. We touched on it last week. Season ticket at Arsenal, the cheapest two thousand and thirteen pounds. Yep. Robbie Savage, you can't tell me that's good. Uh, I'm with you.
3: Oh yeah, I'm with you, Fred.
2: You're I bottling am... here, Robbie. I no, thought you were gonna because it no. to three million views.
3: Because last week when Freddie said if you're on X amount, you should be given some of your money, oh, of yeah. your wage back to the club, and I disagree with him there. But because he's changed his tune, because he's changed his stance. I agree with Freddie that the ticket prices are too high, but as a football player, as I was, if somebody said to me, you're on X amount, give X amount to the club to subsidise ticket ticket prices for the fans, I would never have done that. Because he said that, I'm with him now. I think
1: ticket prices are too high. Well, let me put my tin hat on which probably is a good idea, given my lack of hair, and say that I disagree with both of you, fundamentally. I certainly agree with the objective of lower prices. It would be fantastic if prices came down. But stadium utilisation in the Premier League is close to 100%. Every single stadium is very close to at capacity every single week. You would mentioned Arsenal. The season tickets at Arsenal, there's a queue. There's a waiting list for two years. So here is a fact. sound like Rafa Benitez. If you were to cut ticket prices the number of people watching the Premier League next year would be exactly the same as it is this year. What you're saying... I appreciate that,
2: Matthew. I don't think that is a problem. I'm not disputing the fact that people want tickets. I'm not disputing the fact that there are waiting lists. I am disputing... Looking after your loyal army of fans. The people who work day in, day out, all week, saving up to watch on a Saturday afternoon. And we know that the footballers earn thousands, hundreds of thousands. There's money there for them. That's fine. However, everyone talks about football. They talk about sport. Yep. The fans not being able to identify with the players. The gulf is getting wider and wider and wider. And I just look at Arsenal, you know. I don't want to use them as an example, but I'm going to. You know, the second time. Yeah, second time. Yeah. You know, you look at it, and the lowest match day ticket is 27 pound, which mm-hmm. doesn't sound too bad. Mm-hmm. The highest is 97 pound. Forget all your funny, <laughs> 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 forget all your other stuff, your hospitality <laughs> and things. Yeah. You look at Arsenal, right? You're telling me you're a fan. You paid somewhere between that for your ticket. You're turning up. You're getting a train to the match. You're getting on the mm-hmm. tube. You're spending 50 quid on travel. You're spending to park your car, and then you find out. They're flying to Norwich on a private jet. Hmm. Your money, 14 minutes. They can get a bus to Norwich and then they go to Bournemouth on a private jet. And these private jets, they've got showers on, two and a half thousand TV channels just in case they get bored, these poor little players on a 14 minute trip to Bournemouth. <laughs> you know, and then you've got the poor fellas forking out. They're subsidising this, they're paying for these travel. Sort it out. How can you look at your fans and eye? How can you look at them when you're wasting God knows how much money on travel, all the kits, all this paraphernalia? Okay, I want
1: to come back on yeah, this, but come Rob, back, Robbie, Matthew. just on this issue yeah. of footballers earning amounts of money yeah. that are t- totally disproportionate to the people who are watching them. What's your take on that?
3: Uh, well, good luck to them. Mm. Good luck. The better you are, the more money you earn. Yeah. Simple as that. I, where I disagree is that you know, there's a lot of who I would call average players earning a lot more money than they should but that's not their fault Um, I think you've got to earn the money so the likes of the Premier League players top class Premier League players if you're on two three hundred grand a week good luck to them Hmm. I think it's all relevant look at a film you go watch a film in the cinema what will James Bond be earned what did he earn what did James Bond earn
2: in his next film it's reported for his next bond he's going to get 152 million dollars however you go to a cinema you pay £10.50 depending on how much popcorn you have that can go up I spend a lot (laughs) Right. But you go and see that film once, you pay £10. We're not asking you to pay £70 twice a month to go and watch you. I agree, with, your it. Kids. I agree with you. I agree with you. Okay, Freddie, let me, yeah, let I me agree. ask you a
1: question. Ask me. We agree that stadiums are pretty much full, mm. that if the price came down, more people would want to watch, but because yep. the stadiums are full, it would mean the queues get longer. How would you ration those tickets? Who would decide who gets the tickets?
2: Will you apply how they're doing it in Germany, for instance? What's the big team in Germany? Bayern f- Munich. Bayern Munich. £105 for a season yeah, ticket. Point, Bayern right? Munich. Yeah, but- Sides who win the Champions League. Not these 10 Bob teams, a proper team. But. Okay, can I just come
1: back on the yeah. Bundesliga? The reason they're able to charge lower prices is because the stadiums are huge. The taxpayer increased the capacity of the stadiums before for the two thousand and six World Cup. So even though they've got more people watching, the utilisation is five well, percent lower trafford. than the Premier we're League. Okay. Moreover, you know what happens in Germany? People buy the tickets at the low subsidised price. What happens to them? They end up on the black. Have you just said they're... So
3: the people who are getting the money are the. Have you just said that they're full? What did you say? No, I'm saying the the stadium capacity is big, but
1: they're not full. They can charge lower prices, not get up to capacity. They're 5% lower utilisation than in the Premier League. And those tickets that are sold, there is a flourishing black market. So what happens is the club says, yeah, let's get a cheap ticket to but, somebody. But, but, somebody but, but, buys but, but, it at the cheap but, rate and then the tout makes a margin. But, 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 I, but,
2: but I think if you're going to start talking ticket touts, this is a slightly different argument. In the fact, I've got mm. no time for ticket touts. I don't. Something has to be done by that. My other point is... You're charging fans this amount of money to watch. You're charging them £4.10p for a pie at West Ham United. No. I've never seen a pie that's worth £4.10p. <laughs> Your pint's a lager. All right, £5. Mm-hmm. You're exploiting the very people who love that club. Never even mind that combined money in the league clubs from TV is £5.5 billion yeah. across the top 20 teams. You're telling me that these clubs have not got enough money without exploiting. And these people you're exploiting, you're not your fly-by-nighters, your players, who'll stick around for two or three years, take the money and run, or a manager or a chief exec who's going to come in for the next four or five years. These people support that club for life. And let me, look, look after these people! Let me agree with you. Football
1: is not a business. These are community social institutions. The people who watch but it is being the club is... By- I know, but the club is bound up with their identity. I agree with you on that completely. What I worry about when we're talking about reducing ticket prices, when stadiums are already full, is the completely unintended consequences. You say you don't like ticket touts. Ticket touts come into the market because people are getting tickets at lower than the market price and therefore there's a massive incentive to resell on the secondary market. It is an inevitable consequence when the price, because you have to ration the tickets in some way. And what worries me about people saying, yeah, but we need to reward the loyal fans. I agree with that. We want people who are economically disadvantaged to be part of football. But how is a club supposed to distinguish between a fan who has lots of money and can afford to pay a higher price and a fan who doesn't have very much money and therefore ought to be charged a lower price? I mean, we can't introduce a means test. I mean, are we going to have people saying, oh, sending in their pay slips to prove how much they earn? That would be impossible for a football club to police.
2: And so I think it's just slightly so what So, un- what you're saying is then just carry on as we are, just keep ripping off your fans. No, I think when it or comes to. Or you try and find a way to police it. In the next 45 minutes on a podcast, we're not going to come up with the way in which it should be done. But I think, but well, I think we- the theme which I'm trying to get across yep. and my argument is that fans are being ripped off, fans are being exploited. Arsenal's wage bill, you know, we're not going to get into the players. 205.5 million a year yep. commercially, they get 106.9 million a year. Arsenal's revenue is 350.4 million pounds hmm. a year. Match day revenues keep Arsenal in the world top 10, and no wonder they do. But that's not helping the poor fellows who are working yeah. all week to
3: come and watch. And what would you say, Matthew, to the kids, the next generation of football fans? When I was a kid, I used to get on the bus. It was like two quid to get on the bus. I think it was three quid for a, for a ticket on the Cop at Wrexham. You know, the next generation, the future of fans, the kids, if it keeps going up, what, what's going to happen to those fans? I, think you,
1: I agree with you on that. And I think that it's easier when it comes to young people because you can charge a lower price for junior spectators. In actual fact, there were 58,000 junior season tickets sold in 2014-15, 10,000 10, more than a decade earlier. I think that's a good thing. What I worry about... What about the non-juniors? How do you identify those people? Because let's not forget the fans are part of the spectacle. The reason why people like to watch the Premier League in Asia and around the world is they see the passion. That's something that people want to buy into. It's terribly important. I don't disagree with it. What I want to see are practical proposals about how you reduce
3: ticket prices without getting all of the unintended consequences that are direct... Well, I think um, the Premier League, Matthew, haven't they? They've capped it, haven't they? At Thirty pound for an away ticket. Is that yeah. is that's correct?
1: I agree with it on away tickets because the away uh, that should be that for me should yeah. be twenty, right?
0: But that's
3: also, one thing uh, I'll do straight away. Bring down twenty pound for away tickets.
2: But also as well, you're saying come up with a practical way. We're not going to do that right now. Mm-hmm. But we put people on the moon. Surely we can. Surely we can come up with a reason of making ticketing more accessible for people. Okay, I'm, what, I'm not just going to keep it at football either. Mm. Cricket's the same. You try and watch a Test match mm. at Lords at Durham or wherever you go, you're talking about like 80 90 £100. Pound. Yeah. And all I hear from cricket is we've got to grow this game at grass, grassroots, we've got to expand our audiences, we've got to bring a new fan in. Well, you're not, because it's elitist. You're bringing in the same old fans time and time again, tell you and what, your though, grounds aren't full.
1: But we get this massive debate on football that it's part of how we ought to be more socially inclusive. For me, there's much bigger issues out there, like food prices, the price of rents, the price of accommodation... We get so preoccupied with the fact that people who are economically disadvantaged can't go to football, and I feel the same I thing must, that I'm, you do.
2: I must admit, talk about food prices. Co-op near us, you can buy it for a tenner. <laughs> I tell you what, everything's a pound. Everything's a pound. The co-op is amazing. Big bags of buttons, chocolate buttons, giant size, a
3: pound. <laughs> I've gone for the cream eggs. You see, three, oh, for, three
2: for a pound. Well, you can get the minis for a pound as oh, well, yeah, can't yeah. you? Yeah, five, two five, bags, five for two
3: pounds. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. Uh, you know. What about subsidising? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> subsidising away travel. They do in Germany. Yeah. Some clubs yeah. subsidise away travel because that would yeah. be that would be a great start because it costs. You yeah. think if you if family of four, the petrol money, stopping at the services. As Freddie says, so way of travel would be a good start. I, lo-
1: I, I love the idea. And the away sections of stadiums are often only half full. And that's why you need to get the ticket prices lower. Because you need to have that balance between the home fans singing and the away fans singing. But home sections are at capacity. That's where I disagree. I agree with you completely about the away fans. I think that they are part and parcel of what makes football great. What I worry about is the unintended consequences of home fans. But, Robbie, j- just on this, I mean, one of the things that Freddie's I, doing here yeah. is he's talking about the prices in the context of the players. And I know that this came up last week.
2: You know, Hollywood actors No i making a fortune. But I'm not. No, I'm for, but I'm, I'm not. I'm, I've said if there's money in the game for the players, let's leave that alone. You know, I spoke to Robbie about it and spot and let's let's We've debated this all week in the, let's in be the gym. realistic about it. You're not gonna give any of your wages away to bring someone's ticket price down. What I'm saying is, football clubs, and I've used Arsenal again as a as an example, waste so much money. How can you then ask these poor lads, women, children who work all week to pay these extortionate prices? <laughs> So Oxley Chamberlain can sit in a comfy chair on his way to Bournemouth and watch two and a half thousand TV channels and have a shower. Can I ask you two a question? Yeah.
3: As a as a as a former sportsman, right? I could honestly say when I went out for kickoff, if there was empty seats, I didn't care. Didn't bother me. I didn't think, oh, ticket prices are too high. Really? Didn't bother me. Did it bother you? What? It was empty if... seats, it was enormous. <laughs> in a norm, it was cricket. In a test in a test match, if you walked out, would you think just there was a ticket price debate, would you think, oh, there's 4,000 seats over there? I wonder if they should reduce the ticket price. You would never think that, would you?
2: Yeah. You you did. Do you know what? I, I, I didn't necessarily think they should reduce the ticket prices, but there's nothing more soul-destroying yeah. than walking out at Old Trafford for Lancashire On day one of a county championship game and it's 13 people. Or you go to a test match. Test matches. matches. These are strange things, test matches. Everyone buys up the first three days. So it's full. Yeah, You actually might win on the fifth day in front of no one. And you think, well, where where is everyone? You come come and see it. What's
1: the capacity at Old Trafford?
2: I don't, know, I don't know. Probably around twenty thousand when they get older. Stands up,
1: and that really would—you know—you'd only have a handful of people there. You'd be walking out to bat or bowl. Oh, it'd be echoing you'd around th- the ground. I you
2: know. could—if someone shouts abuse, you can hear them. Matthew, do you people
3: actually watch table
2: tennis? <laughs> How much is it to watch a ping pong game? They must give it away.
3: You know, when
1: I
2: played, you, it's like in
3: a, in, a, in a like working <laughs> men's club. You open <laughs> the doors, so you get to keep. Get a bath. A free pint yeah. or something.
1: Yeah, you know, in China, the crowds were big. Get thousands coming to watch at the stadiums in China because it's a national sport in China. Did you
3: ever think when you played? Yeah. Did you think or oh, half empty? Um, let's reduce ticket prices when you played. When I was playing, Come on, in must... the UK,
1: I loved it when it was full. It really felt like it was an indictment of what you had chosen to do as a career. That's not the question I'm asking though. Sta- know. Oh, I wouldn't think the ticket prices.
3: No, correct. Well, so when I play football, yeah. you're not gonna when you walk out onto the pitch if it's half full, you wouldn't think mm, ticket prices bit too high.
2: Yeah. Would yeah. No. But but also from a from a TV point of view, right? Yep. So TV, you, you go in and all these companies are bidding for Champions League, they're bidding for the Premiership and various things. Now, surely TV companies want full grounds. Yep, they want to put a spectacle on. So what you're telling me is these fans who are paying are adding to the value of Agreed. football. Agreed. They are adding to the value. So they're sat in the ground, they're chanting, they're cheering, everyone says, oh, the premiership, greatest league on earth, look at the atmosphere, look at this and that. Yeah. So they're actually playing a part in this and not, you're
1: still robbing them. Not just a part, I think it's a, an absolutely massive part. Have you noticed how the directors, canny directors you know, on Sky or BBC or wherever else, BT. when there's a, a BT sport... <laughs> They do the close lingering shots yeah. of the fans crying after a defeat. It's because they paid 70 quid, that's <laughs> why
2: they're crying. And they've just had a bite of a five pound pie with no in it. But That's that why em- they're crying. That emotion, you can't pay,
1: you can't buy that. You can't buy the passion, the fact that these clubs are so important to people in those communities. And I really mean it when I say that when you go to a bar in Dubai and you watch a Premier League match or if you're in China, you see people watching that and they are moved by the passion. So the fans in football unquestionably are a significant part of the theatre of football. So I think we'd all agree about that. Football clubs are not normal businesses. We all agree with that. I think where we've got to, if I'm paraphrasing, is that we'd like to see the prices come down, but what would be the unintended consequences? Can it be done in the practical way? Are no, to... you can... on, I don't, I don't bro, bro. think. Do I've not, seen... You're right, I have yeah. not seen. Do
2: you want to answer your phone? Are yeah, all right? Are we it? keeping it? Yeah? I don't know. If it was <laughs> what, your hairdresser again saying he's going to finish it. <laughs> yeah, you right, started you. the conversation mm. by
1: saying they're not high enough. I just don't think that we can bring them down without having unintended consequences. I want to see a practical proposal. Yeah, I, I, I do.
2: Let's see one. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to come up with one. But okay. the truth there are ways in which this can happen. You're almost saying that fans now, from being fans, they're, they're extras. Yeah. They're extras in a, in a big production. Yeah. They but, add to it.
3: Yeah, well, can good. people get involved using the hashtag Fred Yeah, Saeed? let's hear some you know. practical proposals.
1: And let's see what people think out there because I, there's a lot of anger. This really touches a chord with football fans because let's rewind. Go, not, for, not just, re, for, not just no, football fans are though. Sport. But rewind 30 years. Football was a working class phenomenon you know people would go in would watch their local club it was reasonably priced today i think you're right to say the demographics of football fandom are changing
3: see listen to this people might think that myself and freddie and i'm not sure about you matthew will think listen to them to going on about ticket prices they don't have to pay for tickets they get them for free and you know that w- that would be because of our job you know now i go and watch football games all the best games in the world yep. and i get them for free yep. and people will say well I have, don't have to pay for ticket prices. Freddie, because he is a, a celebrity, if he goes and watch Preston, you know you are, he will probably get him for free, because mm. for Freddie to be at Preston, it is true, it's true. You, you're killing you know, me, Rob, you're killing gets me. embarrassed, it's i told all my mates I paid. Yeah, but it's true. <laughs> so, but we've been there, Matthew. I've been yeah. there, as yeah. I've alluded to. Yeah. When I used to, I used to go watch Wrexham, I used to stand on the cop, get the payment with my bus fare, watch the game. So I've been there, but I'm in a fortunate position now Two, being it, to watch football for free, and I love it. So well, we've been there.
1: Yeah, and I'll tell you, a good way to finish this off would be for each of us to talk about the live experience of sport that moved us the most. What was it, being on the stands, at what game, cricket or football, that really excited you, inspired you? It's a I, great I, I can start. I'll no, start. Go on, you start. On. England against Czechoslovakia, Wembley Stadium. It was the first time a black person played for the England team, Viv Anderson. Viv I was not Viv. I was a great guy. Do. Not
2: sure why he was there, but he came. He you went your stag do? Yeah, he just turned up at the airport. I was in the bar. Hey, <laughs> so Right, I'm, this is my stag do, right? <laughs> my <laughs> mate organised it. I went, went to Budapest. All right, Did yeah? Why, why'd you go there? It's a beautiful... <laughs> not, no war damage there, Budapest. Beautiful buildings. Great city. Um, the Oh, beautiful river. The Buda. Right, so... who <laughs> <so> we went... <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then <laughs> with her, right, my sort of <laughs> organised a stag do. So we got on the bus to the airport, and I'm looking around, there's a lot of people. And then I got to the airport, I saw Viv Anderson in the bar. I said, Viv, what are you doing? He said, I'm on your stag do. Who we was 55 people came on my stag do. I didn't know half of them. <laughs> no. Yeah, I didn't know them. But anyway, sorry, Viv. So go on, go on. Sorry, Matthew, I'm just... Sorry, so, just so,
1: yeah, so it was just an amazingly moving thing. I was, I think, nine or ten years old We'd, at my uncle's in Ealing before we went down there with my mum. We got a burger from this van, and this sense... Of being with tens of thousands of other people supporting our national football team, it made me feel proud to be British, and it was just an extraordinary experience. I've Bob. got
3: mine. It was um, not so long ago, actually. You know, I've been very fortunate. Uh, I've been to watch snooker. Um, <laughs> Best fans. <laughs> yeah. I've been to the. I've been to Wimbledon Centre Court. Yeah. I've been to the Monaco Grand Prix, yep, Silverstone. Yep. No, I have. A, How much did you a, pay for? What? I pay for Monaco. Uh, I pay for Wimbledon. Um, pay for the snook. They got got the Why is your trophy. nose
2: getting even bigger? <laughs> they got a fly spot fly on mine. the end of it.
3: It's killing me. <laughs> it's After. growing. Oh, it's true. <laughs> um, so mine was England against Wales in the last Rugby World Cup at Twickenham. Yes, I was with Gareth Bale's mum and dad. Mm-hmm. I was in a box. You know, um, BT um, look, mm-hmm. got me the tickets. Brilliant day, and for Wales to win in the World Cup on at Twickenham. Was absolutely incredible. So the, you know when you're proud of your nation, yeah. and that victory was goose pimples, bumps—is it goose bump? Yeah, pimples? either goose bumps. Yeah. It was amazing. Fred, Wales, England, Wales winning in
2: the rugby at yeah, That's a good Wales one. Wales winning the rugby at Twickenham right. in the World Cup. Fred, do you know what? I I would love to come up with one, but I I, I don't. I, I I as a kid. But you I, went to watch Lancashire as a kid playing. No, cricket, didn't you? no, I didn't. I saw him. No, I never saw him. First time I was playing.
1: Did you ever play? Did you ever go and watch England play in a Test match?
2: I watched them once at Old Trafford. We had a school trip. They were playing against Pakistan. I was fifteen, and I watched Wasim Akram bowl and Waka Yunis against yeah. David Gower, mm-hmm. who brought Graham Gooch's record for scoring the most Test runs. Mm. And then Gooch dropped him, so he could so he could beat him. <laughs> um, and then two years later, I was playing on the same side as Wasim Akram, which right. was which was amazing. But yeah, I remember as a kid. We used to go and watch Preston North End. I, I used to save my money up all week and it was about four pound and go mm-hmm. stand on the town and with my mates. But before that, what happened if Preston had a home game? The tickets were too expensive for us to go as a family. But then usually last ten minutes, the you gates put, open. You, the gates open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember as a kid, we used to go on and watch for the last ten yeah. minutes with my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, topic number. Well, just one other thing, <laughs> while I'm at it on ticket pricing, theatre, what a disgrace. What a disgrace, £90 to go and sit in an uncomfortable seat and watch adults sing. The other one was, I went to watch um, a thing at Sydney Opera House. Mm-hmm. Sydney Opera House, me and the missus, I said, I'll take you to this, it's one of them um, operas at the oh, opera house oh. there he was oh. so I bought tickets I got there late $150 an head. I couldn't go in for the first act because they don't let you in after it starts it was a modern interpretation of a classic of Lab OM I paid $150 <laughs> each to watch a woman die on a beanbag at the end <laughs> absolute cack <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that that puts the ticket prices of football into perspective. You're listening to a BBC Five Live podcast.
0: Flint off, Savage, and the Ping Pong Guy. If you like this, you might also like this.
2: Fighting talk.
3: This is always quite random, as the podcast extras are. Freebies that you've been given by bands. I got a paperweight from ELO.
1: To
0: find out more about our range of podcasts, click, tap, or swipe bbc.co.uk slash five live.
1: Topic number Two, and I think this is an intriguing one, playing sport at international level, particularly football. What about the cliques that exist? What about the boredom when you're at an international tournament away from home for a month at a time? What about club-free country? Do we care more about playing for one's country or more about the club? Robbie.
3: Well, I was very fortunate to play for my country um, 39 times. Um, and Got that in early. What? Got that it should have been that. a lot more. But <laughs> I fell 39 like, times. Yeah, but I fell out with the manager, didn't I? Didn't mm. play for five or six years. You know, I was stupid. I th- threw my toys out the pram. I should have not retired, but I thought, Do you know what? I'm gonna. I was never gonna play anyway.
2: Um, what did, what did you what did you do? Why did you throw your toys out of the Premier? Well, oh,
3: because I was playing the Premier, I was captain in Blackburn in the Premier League. I just signed there, and then uh, Mr. Toshak phoned me up, I was in the car park, and I thought he was gonna make me captain. The phone went, he said, I hi Rob, it's John. I went, hello, Mr. Toshak. He said, just to let you know, I'm gonna try different things the next two or three games. What, and, what in
2: general or was... you know, with the team? With the team. I said, oh,
3: Pardon? Right. I thought he was gonna ring me up and say I was captain. And I, so I said, oh, I said, stick it, basically, in no uncertain <laughs> terms. I went to see Sparky that morning and said, Listen, yeah, I'm going to retire. I said, Aye. he's not He's not going to pit me. I'm going to retire, contract my club career. Yeah, I regret it now, of course I do, because um, it was the most amazing thing, winning, beating Italy 2-1, Millennium Stadium, the passion. So anyway, um, but in, on international duty, I've got yeah. to say, in the early days, it was like a stag do. No. It was, it was like a stag do, because you'd play on a... You'd play on a Saturday, and then you could not wait until the final whistle. You'd be in your car, you'd be in the shower, ca- shower before the car, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <you're, laughs> what car have you got? Yeah, you got yeah in your car. Yeah, you'd you off. play for
2: Arsenal.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you'd be in the shower, you'd get your tracksuit on, and then you'd race down within the speed limit to Cardiff, get changed, and then out with the lads. Out with the lads, and... Um, and that would probably last. So, if you were on a Saturday and the game was a falling Saturday, you'd probably have a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, nights out. Um, you train proper. Um, and it was like a stag do. Um, the boredom factor was incredible. People, when I talk about this, will think boredom. Just the highly paid individuals going away with their mates in a hotel room, eating good food, everything done for them. But I tell you what, you train, you eat. Mm. You sleep. You know, the boredom, you'd have um, several videos mm-hmm. passed around the lads. Oh, what
2: kind of videos, Rob?
3: There'd be um entertainment Jokes? videos, adult videos. Oh, a, bit well, Bluefoot, <laughs> a bit of blue foot, Dads. A bit of blue. You were just bored. So all you do, Matthew, you'd eat, you would train, you would sleep, you watch videos, and then bed.
2: <laughs> How have... many videos are you watching? You're watching them <laughs> twice a lot, now. A
3: lot, a lot, um, a <laughs> You'd pick your roommate carefully.
2: Mm. You, you shared
3: rooms on internet. Yeah, videos. I was big John with him mm-hmm. for seven years. Well, did you like the same videos? Yeah, we, we, had we had a different taste in videos. Yeah, we had a different taste. But you'd have to pick your roommate very carefully because you would be spending... <laughs> like you did. <laughs> you'd, be spending, you'd be spending a considerable amount of time with him. Yeah, yeah. You'd, And when if you went for dinner you'd see certain groups forming who might play for one club and you think, oof, you know, I've got to spend 10, seven to ten days. If it was a head it'd be ten days. So, honestly, it was, at times, great. But the thing was, it was a, when I played early, it was a drinking culture yeah. where you would, you know, you would be like a stag do for three or four days. Um, and it was, as a youngster, eye-opening, really.
1: If you were the manager of an international team at a World Cup or Euro- European Championships, would you be like Capello in the training camp in South Africa, where it was very regimented, there were certain things you could and couldn't do, or would you be liberal and you would allow the players to yep. have a bit of leeway well, I, to do what they wanted to do?
3: I remember Mark Hughes, was we who said to us one day um, we had a big game coming up. I think it was on the Wednesday, and um, on the on the on the Saturday. I think a few of the lads wanted to go out and he got called a meeting and he went, listen, I believe a few of you, you want to go out. He said, I'll leave it up to you, but I know you'll make the right decision. And that, nobody said that to me. And that's and that's <laughs> all he said. But Matthew, I've seen and nobody went out. But curfews for me are the worst thing in the world mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as a group of players and as a sports team because... They're there to be broken. Hmm. I've seen lads climbing out of windows. I've seen lads going under bushes. I've seen lads sneaking out of taxis. I've seen everything because of these curfews. And, you know, hammered. Lads getting hammered, even to the point in the next day of training, get set in. I've seen it all. So, so a
1: manager not... would give a curfew.
3: Yeah. The players would sneak out the window, yeah. go
1: out and get hammered. Wouldn't they get noticed? Well, no, because it
3: depends how good they were sneaking out the window. <laughs> no,
1: I mean if they go to a bar or a nightclub. These are instantly recognisable superstars. Well, it's
3: days before,
2: it's days it's before social it's media. The days
3: Cameron. before, yeah. So, so now you can't do it with social media, mm. but I'm going back a few years. You know, I've seen it all. You know, people getting sent in the next day from training, sent home.
2: I remember, I remember, right, my first trip with Lancashire senior team. I was 15 years old, I was in the fourth year at school, whatever that is in new money, what is it, year nine or ten, I don't know, but the fourth year. So I was playing for lengths under-15s, and I got drafted up to the second team, away trip, last game of the season, down at Vine Lane, Middlesex. I turn up to Old Trafford, to the team coach, I've got my shirt and tie on, I've got my blazer, I'm sat at the front, my dad's dropped me off, and then the lads get on, Ronnie Arani and Ian Austin walk on with the biggest heskey of beer you've ever seen. (laughs) They get to the back of the bus. They all start drinking at the back, all the lads. Wow. By stoke, I was at the back. I had my tie around my head. <laughs> I was about four or, five, four, four or five cans in. Got down to Vine Lane in Middlesex. We rained off three days. I was in the bookies. I was in nightclubs. I was in restaurants. I had to go back to school and give a chat and assembly about my week away. <laughs> I had to just lie through my teeth. That's how cricket was going away. It was brilliant. Yeah, you know, on
3: on on roommates as well, John Hartson. So I remember big, well, brilliant, great guy. You know, very good friend of mine. Um, so he was a, he was quite a big lad. You know, he looked. Remember, we used to we used to have the Kappa shirts, and they were really tight. And you know. He was bright red in the face, sweating when he used to play. What a play, what a lad. Mm-hmm. But one great story is that um, one night, so after the night out, um, I was in bed first. We had two double beds. I'm lying there, and I knew John would be coming in within the next hour, right? And I thought, <laughs> right, just I've got to pretend to be asleep here. So always about half two. Anyway, in he comes, and he's he's not a quiet lad. Anyway, he jumps on the bed like less out of a huge sigh, I thought, oh, just I'm just gonna to pretend to be asleep because if I start talking now, you'd be awake till half half four or five o'clock. So anyway, I heard him pick up the phone and say, orders order some room service after <laughs> half, half two in the morning, right? So anyway, I thought, right, okay, he's gonna be quiet. Anyway, half an hour later, <laughs> knock on the door. <laughs> seriously, in comes the room service. And it wasn't a plate, it was a tray <laughs> of sandwiches. All right? Gotcha. right? Tray of sandwiches. Four bags of crisps, <laughs> can of Coke. And, you know, when your roommate's there, you're trying to get to sleep, he opened the can of Coke, I <laughs> Getting like the honey monster, eating the crisps. And, I, and I, I, I turned over. By this point, I'd had enough. I turned over and said, John, come on, John. He went, Sav... I always have a snack this time of the morning, son. <laughs> like half three in the morning, knowing that he couldn't fit in that Wales. Something
1: I've got to say, Fred, when he when he mentioned room service, you started nodding your head at no, that. No, because point.
2: what we used to do used to come in, and this had been mid-test match. You don't matter. We come in late, and then I'd do a sweep down the corridor. You know, <laughs> have you never done that when there's a trays out? You just see what people have left. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you used to just dive in and go. Oh, someone's there, some chips in. <laughs> then go to the next room, have a bite of a half-eaten burger, but. For me, I, I used to I used to love and love touring. You know, Robbie says they're away for seven, ten days. We were away for three months. A yeah. long time now, And yeah. As good as it was, some people did annoy you. And you, you, you form groups, you got your mates, mm. so you're going hang round in group, in the room with yeah. like Steve yeah. Armonson. I must have sat on a bed with him for days yeah. watching Royal Family, watching Only Fools and Horses. Um, he even brought Love Joy. He had the full collection <laughs> of Love Joy. I'm not watching that. <laughs> But we could have got degree courses if we'd have used our time more effectively. Yeah. We could have done anything. Yeah. But we we got into trouble as well. You know, I remember we was in Bulawayo in on an air team tour in Zimbabwe, and we're having a team night out, and we have gone down to this we're gone to this nightclub in Bulawayo. It's like country, a bit rough. Mm-hmm. We've got in as a team, and there's these rugby lads in there, and they're having a pajama party. Big lads. And we are all taking over, having a laugh, having a dance, having a few drinks. And then this rugby lad, he's, he's built like a brick house and he's only got underpants on. He started he squared up to me and then said something to me. I don't know what he said. So what I did was I pulled his undies down so he stood there with it hanging out. I then flicked in the Vs and said, excuse me, mate, are these yours? And then his face turned, he swung for me so I just moved my head back using them very proficient boxing skills I've got. <laughs> so I just moved my head back. He's missed. Steve Armerson, he's dancing on the stool, takes his legs out. He drops to the floor, jumps up. <laughs> It was like a comedy. He's had a swing at this lad. He's missed him. Is it Michael Vaughan Flush on the chin. Oh. Vaughn, he's gone off. Did his hair fall? Right? Did his hair fall? Oh, he's he didn't move the squirrel. <laughs> so Vaughn's he's taken one off Harmy. Then the next minute, this rugby team come towards us. Oh. Oh. We've not got a big side. I've got Vikram Solanke. I've got Chris Reid, a little wicketkeeper. Darren Maddy from Leicester. And Anne Brentnell, the physio. We're taking a rugby team on. I turn round, the entire nightclub is emptied. They've evacuated. And then the bouncer comes up to me, taps me on the shoulder. He said, will you take this outside? I said, there's nothing to take outside of (laughs) me. So we, we got ushered outside, the five or six of us. And then the night cupboard made a big ring like a pit. And it was like something from Braveheart. You've got them on one side and then us on the other. I've had to go for the meet in the middle to talk terms. So I met this <laughs> rugby player in the middle. And I said, look, mate, I think there's been a, a, a gross misunderstanding here. Like, we, we don't want to fight. It's not what we're about. And they're baying for blood. Steve Armisen's gone over the top. So I've grabbed the army. Luckily, the police turned up. And diffuse the situation. Wow. We got the lads back in the van. To which Kesey said, "Should we go in for a drink, Fred?" <laughs> <laughs> so we, we went back. Hey, honey, the honey, drink. G, honey, Key, honey, G. So honey yeah, key. we we got we got into some scrapes. And you talk about stag do's. The first part of my career. Wow. You, you'd think nothing of having seven, eight pints. Uh, can I just ask you about this this drinking culture? Because I think
1: anyone listening is thinking to themselves: sport is about fine margins. It's about intense competition and anything you can do to be be better prepared than the opposition is going to give you that margin. And yet you guys are talking about a culture that seems like the antithesis of sport. What's your take on it now? You know, do you think that that was a healthy thing? Do you think that's something that ought to be eliminated from professional sport?
2: Um, I think it... To the extremities that it was when I started playing cricket, you you, you walked in, it was very much a drinking culture. you come off from fielding a day's play. The 12th man would do a drinks list. Mm. So you'd have six lagers, five bitters. First drink you get off, you get your pint, you have a swig. You, you'd see your pint off. You'd probably have another in the dressing room. Then you go and meet the opposition in the bar, maybe have two or three more. So you get on the bus, have five pints in. Meet in the hotel bar for a drink pre-dinner, six pints, have a couple over dinner, seven, eight, one in one night cup, nine, ten pints. Really? That's how it was.
1: And how did it change over the course of your career? By the time you got to the end of your I went career. Well to had...
2: shorts. <laughs> <laughs> and bottles of red wine. whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I I saw it. That that was like that was the real Shouldn't have been a professional sport, and then it started slowly changing. Right. I, th- I think towards the end of my career, I had one foot in each camp. I trained so hard, mm. but I'd also have a drink, but I wouldn't have like what I used to do. I remember, we, me and Goffy went out before a one-day international once at the Oval. I was in this swanky bar in London, and Goffy says, yeah, let's let's drink vodka," and then he can't smell it on us in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so we had a few vodka and limes, and then we're coming out of this nightclub, and then the paparazzi. Are outside. All these cameras have gone off. I've dived out the way. Goffey stood there with his <laughs> arms aloft, just parading to the paparazzi. They weren't even photographing him. They were doing Craig from Big Brother behind. <laughs> <laughs> they had no idea who we
0: were.
3: but <laughs> so. you go back to answer what? your question on, yeah. on on if if you were a manager now and what would you do? I think. You you alluded to earlier, I think social media, camera phones, you cannot get away with what you used to do as a professional sportsman, I don't think, especially on international duty, when you're away from home for a, a, lo- a long period of time because wherever you go now, the players are such high profile now, special international players. Wherever you go, there'll be a photo. It's on social media instantly. You will be rumbled. Mm. Yeah. I think I think it's as simple as that. But back in the day when I played international football, that camera phones were less or non-existent. Mm. So you could go out, you could sneak out, you could be in nightclubs, you could be seen and nobody would know. Yeah, yeah. As long as you, the next morning, train proper, but there were some people who... You know, couldn't train proper, then that would rumble the whole group. So to going back to what you said, I just think that you've. If it was me, I would let I would let players have a one one night out on a international duty. Yeah. I would and trust them. You've got to be able yeah. to trust. I, I think trust. I,
2: I think that's the difference now from when I first started playing the way in which I lived my life and prepared for games and my social life wasn't that of an international cricketer or a professional cricketer. But then contrary to popular belief in the last part of my career, I trained harder than anyone else. Mm. You know, I I still made the odd mistake and went out when I shouldn't, but that was few and far between. But I don't think now if I was coaching the England side, coaching the Lancashire side, I've seen them. I don't think I'd have to flag it up. These Mm. lads now, they know what it entails. They know how hard they work. They know how hard they play. They know that if they've got a four or five day break, they can go out and have a few drinks. It's Mm. not the same culture it used to be. I don't know about football. Yep.
3: Going back to, I know we've gone off subject a little bit, but this is what this podcast does because it's it's, it's fascinating. Talking about the drinking culture, I've never been a drinker, Mm. never been a big drinker. Mm. Um, But I got to a point when I was playing at Leicester, that I used to go out on a Thursday, myself, my wife, there was about three or four couples for a meal to an res- Italian restaurant and then I'd have one glass of wine mm. and then I'd have two. And on a Thursday night, I used to be, at, after a, a, a number of months, that one glass of wine turned to two bottles of wine and I'd be absolutely hammered going home, embarrassing, embarrassing. To the next day in training, I felt dreadful mm. to the point... <clears throat> Well, I'd be, I be getting man of the match every Saturday. So it'd become um, superstitious. Yeah. I'd have to be hammered on a Thursday. It's true, Fred, it's true. It's incredible. Wish I'd have come up with that. And then, but then it <laughs>
2: Superstition, got, lads. <laughs> but
3: then it got to a point on away games in the Premier League, I was putting a bottle of wine in my bag to take to away game. I remember being in the hotel the game before Chelsea, and I was at a point where I was opening my bag, taking a bottle of wine out and giving myself two glasses of wine on a Friday night before... Premier League games, because it was superstitious. I was getting man of the match all the time, and I thought, if I stop it, I'm not going to play as well. To the point where I started a few bad games after about six months, and I thought, I can't can't do this.
1: Tell you what, that is a great topic for another day, superstition. Mm. The amount of top athletes who have these deep, intricate rituals that they go through in order to get into the right state of mind. But just to sort of um, draw a line under this topic, I just wanted to ask you whether you think there are certain people who are not cut out for international sport? You know, Harmy didn't enjoy all those long trips abroad. Um, is that fair to say? I know there are certain footballers who say that they just can't bear being in that bubble. Know, you, I didn't that, like the bubble you, away from
2: home, no, For that I, period of time when, when, I, when I had kids and things at home, it changed. Yeah, but I was a single widower; we didn't have kids. It was, everything was a big adventure, and you you didn't really see much at home that you was missing. Where as I got older, I started not to resent the tours, but I didn't tend to enjoy them. But Steve, you say Steve, where he wasn't cut out for touring. He was. He had some of his best days yeah. on international tours. I think where it's changed again, we alluded to mental health before, the, before we got into the t- subjects. And I think now, if Steve Harmison was starting his career out as an international sportsman, his experience of being that would be very, very different. The yeah, coach changed towards, towards drink, towards mental health issues, to everything. So I think the, the world's changed. Mm. You, you know on all
3: right Stanley Yeah. Fine. yeah? Oh, Stanley just walked in. Um, <laughs> you know what you you're saying um did, did I like it in the end, I've got to say I like being at home I like get I like getting there yeah but then when the drinking culture and going out when that was all fun and, and, and laugh stopped, you know I, I thought this is wrong for me you know it, it's, it, I didn't like it as much really. I like being at home, Matthew.
1: Yeah, here's a question I should have asked earlier. But <laughs> this, this is, I think, something that a lot of fans feel: England players, when they're on international duty, they care more about their club than their country, and it's because they're not passionate about their country. They don't get paid for winning for England. That's why they underperform, like against Algeria, Cape Town in 2010, a nil-nil draw. They lost against Iceland. People don't think that footballers in the England national team are as committed to the national shirt as they are to the club shirt. What's your take on that?
3: uh, See, I think they are. I think when you're a sportsman, Matthew, when you pull on that international jersey, okay, we used to get, I think we used to get a match fee, which was very, very small. I think it was about 50 quid, 100 quid. You got expenses, Mm -hmm. which is probably about 100 quid, you know, and... That went into your pay packet. We didn't care. That was that was irrelevant. you would play for your country for nothing. But I think when you hear this about they didn't show any passion, they didn't show any. Of course you do. We've all we've we've all been international, haven't we? Mm-hmm. You know when you pull on that international jersey, the easy thing to say is because you know they're not getting paid for it, not doing this, and the club pay their wages. They would rather play for. I I I just can't have it because we've all been there. We know what's like when you sing the national anthem. We know what it's like. And that passion and pride. So I don't, I'm not having it. I think every, every time you play an international, you might play poorly. Mm-hmm. You may, but I think it, I think everybody has the passion when they play for their country. Yeah,
2: it'd, it'd be a brave man to go up to Wayne Rooney and say you don't play with passion when you play for England. Mm. I, I disagree with that. But in a cricket point of view, it was, it was a bit different in the fact that I didn't get paid by Lancashire, I got paid by England. But that wasn't, didn't really matter. I, bizarrely, I found international cricket easier than county cricket. Far easier because okay. every game you turn up to is an occasion. You're playing in front of a full house. You're playing in <laughs> front of tens of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. The gaps in between international fixtures are longer. So if you're in a bit of bad form, you can get try and get out of it in a week or 10 days in the break. You know exactly who you're playing against. You play a five-match series against the same lads. So you can prepare yeah. for who you're playing against. Yeah. The pitches you're playing on tends to be a lot better, the more prepared. So I, I found international cricket harder. I come back to Lancashire and I'd be playing against lads I'd never seen, never heard of, didn't know how they bowled. I felt as if I'm only here for two or three games, I've got to try and do everything. So I found the pressure more playing for Lancashire than England. I, can't, I don't think, well, I know that I didn't feel less pride for one or the other. I love playing for right. both of them. But I found Lancashire a far harder game to play in than any England fixture.
1: OK, well, look, let's, let's move on to topic number three, and this is the 10,000-hour oh, theory oh, someone's telling of books how to become again. an expert. and I know that Oh, here we go,
2: books, books, books. Been deeply bounce influenced. Boy's on, Bounce Boy. Go on, Bounce Boy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so let, this is how I start Bounce, which is really the starting point for this discussion. When I became the England number one for the first time as a youth player, more than <laughs> half of the top players in the country <laughs> at that time didn't just come from the same town or the same suburb, but from the same street, Silverdale Road in Reading. And it made me think about this idea that is quite prevalent in society, that success is about talent, talent alone, having the gift. Because everyone on that street didn't have the same genes. You know, we didn't have the same genetic... We didn't have the same... Unless my dad was doing something that I'm unaware of. I can see Robbie's eyebrows raising over there. (laughs) And the reason was because we had a brilliant coach, so high-quality coaching, terribly important... But also, we had access to the only 24-hour-a-day table tennis club in the whole of the south of England. This is before lottery funding. If you wanted to play table tennis, you had to go to a municipal sports centre, wait for the badminton to finish. Here, there was a club open 24 hours a day. Everybody on the street had a set of keys. So you could go and open up, put the light on, put the heater on in winter and practice. And over a long period of time, With lots of practice and great coaching, this ordinary group of young people became extraordinary at table tennis. Now, that's not to say that talent doesn't matter. My pitch to you guys is it's nowhere near enough and the psychological hallmark of the great performers is this resilience that they can clock up lots of practice, they're passionate about the sport and, crucially, when things go wrong, they hit setbacks and challenges and disappointments. Instead of giving up, they carry on and they persevere.
3: Robbie. Um, yeah, after to listening to you there, I, I completely agree. So, what you're saying, because when I've not read the book yet, but it's fascinating. Aye? I've not read the book yet. I'm on black box thinking.
2: <laughs> Talk us through it, Rob. Yeah, well, I,
3: I'm taking, I'm, I'm taking so it out. So, it off,
2: you're, you're not reading me either?
3: <laughs> no, I'm going to start it. Matthew brought it to me. You're still on Stig of the Dump. So Matthew, when I. <laughs> Stig of the Dump. <laughs> Clive King, I remember that. I don't Sorry, Matthew. Um, the Hungry so, Snake. So the cat, hungry
2: <laughs> Caterpillar.
3: When I heard about this book, right? And I, I, think I must have got it wrong because what I what, I, what I, what I believed when I'm I heard about walk
2: through the deep dark wood.
3: <laughs> what I believed I'm when I heard the ten thousand hour thing was you were suggesting hmm. that you could take anybody and train them for ten thousand hours and they would become a sportsman. That's incorrect. No, that's incorrect. Right. So that was my that was my perception of what I heard when I didn't know you the book ten thousand hours. Take him off the street and he could be a table tennis player, a tennis player, a footballer. And I thought that was absolute complete nonsense. When I've actually explained it, you're saying with talent, little talent, but all that hard work and and practicing for 10,000 hours, you've got a better opportunity to be a sportsman.
1: A much better one. I totally agree.
3: That that practice is transformative. And you know what,
1: Robbie and Fred, the thing that I really worry about in society is if people think that success is a gift rather than a journey. You know, and this is bolstered by things like The X Factor and reality television, where people get the idea that success can happen overnight, overnight stardom, instant gratification. That's not how success happens in sport. Are you born with a talent? I think you can be born with... Everyone is. Everyone is. Everyone is born with talent. But if people think that success is instant and easy for the super talented, and your kid starts a violin and isn't immediately playing like a virtuoso, they think, oh, I'm obviously not cut out for this, and they give up. If you get young people to think of success as a journey and that these setbacks are part of learning... You know, I mentioned Beckham about 3,000 times on this podcast, but this is somebody who looked like a natural when he took free kicks. But when he started doing keep-me-ups in his back garden in Leytonstone, he could only do four. Every day, Practice four or five hours a day, got up to 2,003. Then he started practising his free kicks. An incredible work ethic. It looks natural because we haven't seen... All
3: yeah. of that effort that went into the construction of but the other okay. you know people then, Fresh, sorry, you know the people then, just say for instance, you've got a little bit of talent. Mm. Yeah? Just say you've got a little bit of talent and you practice for ten thousand hours mm-hmm. and you don't make it as a sportsman. Mm-hmm. What does that what's that? Just then, wasted then? ten thousand hours. <laughs> yeah. What's that then, Matthew then? But yeah. that's why I think you need to
1: choose something that you're passionate about. Because you can learn a great deal from a particular activity without becoming the best in the world. Look, I didn't get to number one in the world at table tennis and yet I still learned a lot about who I was. Or take, take a football example. Occasionally, I'll go into academies, like the Arsenal Academy, give a talk to a youth team done it at maybe half of the Premier League football academies. And often you get young players who think they're super talented and gifted because they're in the Arsenal Academy and they're getting big bank transfers and they're not putting in the hard graft in the but training that, that, pitch. What's the get, point of being there get, and pamper, not putting everything into it?
2: we've been into that. They're on private yeah. jets and showers it's and a problem. two and a half thousand TV channels. Do
1: you see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You want people who, if they're going to be in a maths classroom or they're going to be at the Arsenal Academy, they give it everything to give themselves a chance of getting there.
2: Do, do, you, know, do you know what annoyed me a little bit as a player? Um, was when people say you're naturally talented and I, I got labelled that a little bit yep it's always naturally talented he just does it and that is just the biggest load of nonsense I've ever heard in you've my life you've got to have natural talent no, no but this is the thing I I I, I agree with Matthew and I think you might agree with me in a minute is that everyone says always naturally talented look the way he does that well no not really I looked at people in the dressing yeah. room and I looked at people I played with I played against who were far better than me far better yep However, I remember being a kid. and know we didn't have much, but we had a big mirror in my mum and dad's room wardrobe. I've got a
3: few of them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Including on the ceiling. Uh, uh,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> well, your mum and dad were all the wardrobes, as you say then. <laughs> no, but yeah, big, big wardrobes with a mirror. And I used to spend hours and hours yep. batting in front of that, picturing bowls coming at me and the shots I'd play. I'd be in the bathroom with my brother all the time, practising and playing. Mm. As a professional, I realised that I was all right. But I wasn't as good as some. I worked harder. Mm. I kept it under my hat a little bit because yep. I wanted, pe- I wanted the, <laughs> yeah. the myth behind me. But I yep. used to work so hard. I look at you. And this is a compliment, mm. is that you, you, you wasn't the best footballer, was you? But
3: as a kid, I was. No, but you worked was, so hard. I listened to you speak on yeah, but, this and but, said ben, you were dedicated. You know, as a kid, you know, as a kid, as a kid, and and uh, so basically in the resume, I played for fly United. I scored seventy-two goals in about eight, nine or ten games. <laughs> Seriously, I did. And, seventy-two in I eight games. I could pick the ball up off the goalkeeper and score a goal. Uh, take everybody on. Mm-hmm. And my, I changed because physically, then this is where the ten thousand hours. If physically, I couldn't because I wasn't quick. So. I would say, as a as a nine-year-old, I was one of the most technically gifted natural people with a ball in the Wrexham area, yeah?
0: In the Wrexham area? Yeah, <laughs> <In> <laughs> oh, I, Wrexham well, area. yeah well, I'm, you... oh, I'm oh, going to say the world,
3: am not I? I? I
2: thought, I thought you were going to say <laughs> yeah. in the Wrexham area. All oh, well,
3: right, I'm right. going to say the world, am I? Well,
2: but think bigger than Wrexham.
3: If any, <laughs> let, me, let me ask you the two this said. So I was there, hmm. and anybody who would have come to watch that game would have said, oh. Look at that blonde boy there. Best in Wrexham. Best in Wrexham. And, na- and he is naturally gifted and mm-hmm. he has a talent. Mm-hmm. So I, I, was, I, was, I had a but gift had, that was but natural. Bobby, but
1: Freddie's right. You would have got absolutely nowhere without your work ethic. Take take this podcast. I agree, I agree. Hey, this podcast. This is something you do once a week, yeah. every day. This is something the listeners will be interested in. The day after? You call me up. What could we have done differently? Yeah. What could we do better? You're thinking of topics. You read all of the reviews on iTunes. You look at the feedback on Twitter. You're constantly looking to see how you can get better as a broadcaster. You bring this mindset of continuous improvement, this growth
3: mindset, in my opinion, to everything you but do. But you know what, though, man? That, that you... to me, is a powerful thing. Let me ask this then, right? I believe now... Because a when I think you've got I think there's something in you where you've got hand to eye coordination, you've got something, right? So I believe I believe if I was a, if I wanted to play table tennis now and I play for ten thousand hours, I reckon I could be at a standard where I could beat a professional.
2: Olympics. You go for
3: Olympics? No, not Olympics. I think that if I practised for ten thousand hours, I would become of a good level where you could perform Probably on a professional standard.
1: I completely agree. You're really? An outstanding player. I saw these kids on this street over a period of time. They didn't start out coordinated. By the end, my yeah. goodness, they really? were hitting, they were spinning. Really? It was amazing. One of the, I mean, so there were like eight internationals on this street. There were a dozen county players. All of them reached an extraordinary level. I have no doubt at all that you would get there. I mean, there are some sports where you do need the right genetics. So if you're a Rowan. basketball player, you want to be tall. And you can't practice your weight to greater height. Boxing, Rowing, you boxing. probably need the... You know, if you're a Rowing. sprinter, you need Rowing. fast twitch... you've
2: got to pull a stick back.
1: Yeah, but a it stick. helps if you've got a particular shape, didn't. doesn't it? If it you're a, does,
2: but...
1: Sprinters need fast twitch yeah. muscle fibres. Yeah. You know, long-distance yeah. runners need slow Boxers twitch muscle fibres.
2: Boxers
1: Boxers have to take a punch. There are certain... And that may well be something that is helped by a particularly... I don't know. Maybe the construction of the neurocortex and the skull. These things would help. But most soft skills... If that Green, makes soft, sense. Skills. soft skills, things like being able to perceive the pattern of players around you on a football pitch so you can pick out the right pass, so that you can coordinate the movement of your foot with the direction of the ball so you create perfect timing when you're striking it. Or in chess, being able to see the pattern of pieces on the board so you know which way to move. All of these things are softer skills. It's not about your body, it's not about your anatomy, it's to do with the quality of the software, if you like, in your brain. And that's something you download through purposeful practice. But let me just throw one to to you two guys, because I'd be interested to know, Freddie, you've talked already a lot about how hard you work to get there. You have two, Robbie. Were there any moments during your development as players where you thought, you know what, I might not make it? Where you thought of quitting? And what caused you not to do so?
2: No, I wouldn't say I thought it was quitting. When I, when I was younger, my career followed a pattern. It did all the way through. I'd be at the top, and then I'd be at the bottom. The top, the bottom. I never found that consistency that everyone bangs on about. And in some ways, I'm glad I didn't. It sounds really boring. I enjoy being at the bottom and then working my way up to the top. I I love that part of doing it. But quitting, no. Because mm. what else am I going to do? I did the one thing I wanted mm. to do. I yeah. subscribed to your 10,000 hours However, when you talk about 10,000 hours, there's 10,000 hours and 10,000 yeah, hours. I agree. You know what? This is what I'm trying to get into my kids now is it's all right practicing, yep. but what are you practicing? So what cool. is your mindset when you're in that practice? Yep. Are you practicing for practicing? Are you actually working at something? Are you coming out doing something better? And my kids think I'm hard on them at times. I think because I wasted a lot of time just going through the motions in practice, I don't want them to do that. Yep. So I'm, I'm on the case all the time. On the other one, I reckon I could have been a footballer. What? No. I could have been a footballer. Yeah, I, I I just wasn't into it. I wasn't into it. Centre half. Not hardest job in the world, is it? All you do is head and kick up. But ball. I don't. It's not. i gone. It's not the hardest <laughs> job. You know, you stand at the back, you stop them getting past you, you kick it forward, and you pass it to a man close to you. It's not but a hard you know job. Was... But I'm coming to a point here. I've... The reason I wasn't a footballer. Is the fight, because I wasn't into it. Yeah. You can have ten thousand hours, you yeah. can have all the practice you need, but one vital ingredient is desire. I see two and passion. Yeah, because that's what I had for cricket. But that's hey, all I wanted to you do. You couldn't have been a footballer because I, I could. See, I think now it's easy. I think all you do now, is kick
3: it. I can go on to a, I could go and see a football match uh, locally. Yeah, uh, so amateurs, mm-hmm. and you can see a way somebody moves. You can see. Like, my boy's my boy now, he's left-footed. He's amazing. And you can say, But I'm not just saying that, but you can say the way he moves. Freddie's boys, you can say the way the ball. You, as a footballer,
2: you can't, you move. You saw, don't move. Me, you saw yeah, me at you, the end of my career. you don't move. I'm nearly 40. <laughs> but you don't you move like You should have seen me like when, when I was 10, 11 <laughs> you, years old. You, you tell you what you say, look at that blonde-haired kid there without the quiff. He's a cracker isn't he? He's fast, he's got skill, he's got But a you talent. couldn't move,
3: right? You didn't move like a footballer. I wasn't a footballer. I didn't want to be. You couldn't have been because I it could. Wasn't ten in thousand you. hours. I'm ten been.
2: thousand hours away from playing for United. Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> have been a cricketer. Ten thousand hours. I couldn't have been a cricketer because no, you, couldn't. I... you couldn't put the helmet on it ruin your <laughs> hair. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Matthew, could you, you could have been a footballer?
1: Extra <laughs> I was. I was pretty good. I captain school team at football. By the way, but that could have been a I Also, also man, uh, you know, How captain. in the school team at cricket. But the difference was, you'll think this is ridiculous. I love table tennis. I had that passion, that desire, that thing about purposeful practice. You know. I played in the England team with a few guys who weren't that talented but had unbelievable commitment. In the training hall, there was an atmosphere, there was an intensity every second of every minute of every training session. Then the second generation that came through when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, they were miles more talented. Gareth Herbert, Terry Young, you won't have heard of them. You know Herbie. Great server, very good touch around the table. In the training hall. it? (laughs) It was the what?
2: His nickname was Beetle.
1: Herbie, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. got it, got it. Tell the story about Desmond Douglas. Yeah, but just to finish that off, they weren't putting in, they were training for four to six hours every day, but there was no intensity. They wanted to be somewhere else. And if you don't put that passionate intensity in, you don't extract the rewards that leads to world-class performance of the kind that you're talking about,
3: Freddie.
2: That's why I wasn't
3: a footballer. Desmond
1: you Douglas, have been by the a footballer. way. I could have picked my
2: position. You could have. Centre out of four keeper. You don't move. Picking a size five case, he at me. You, you, me, like, you don't move easy. like a footballer. It's easy. I catch it. Yeah. I won't punch Freddie, it either.
1: You know Desmond Douglas.
2: I do, yeah. I love Desmond Douglas.
1: Former England number one table tennis player. He was the fastest what were you table tennis player. T- I was number one for 10 years. I was one of his successors as England All right, number Matthew,
3: one. You, <laughs> put yourself in the back, why don't you? <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: There Am I getting a bit defensive here about my table tennis? Because he said, does anybody watch it? Is it a sport? But Des, number one in England. Brilliant player, fantastic. And if anyone has seen him play, he used to stand right up to the edge of the table. Incredible reactions. And he used to force even the Chinese players away from the table. People were fascinated by his speed. My first senior training camp for England was in 1985. We went down to Eastbourne. It was when sports science was just coming in. And we did this reaction test where a red light would go on and you have to press a button as fast as you can. Yeah. Douglas was the slowest in the team. And so we laughed these sports scientists out of the room. He said, you know what you're talking about. And then we realised what it was. The first 10 years of Des's practice, he was from a poor background in Birmingham, couldn't get a decent room to play and So he played in a classroom where there was only about half a yard of run back. So he had his belly right to the table for 10 years. And so in order to get back on ball, he had to focus on his opponent to see and anticipate where the ball was going before it even got hit. And that's how he became the fastest player in the world. And if ah. you can get that kind of a training environment where you're being stretched all the time, forced to think ahead of the game, I think it can make a big difference.
3: 10,000 hours, what's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the end of the book then, the last page? He's not going to say that. He's trying to fog
2: me. <laughs> He's not going to tell you.
3: What is, the, what, is the, what is the outcome of the book? The outcome
1: is that we need to create an environment where people see success. Young people and older people as a journey rather than a gift. Because as soon as you see it as a gift, the first time you mess up, you think, I haven't got the gift, and you give up. What I want to see is people with the resilience that you two have demonstrated in your careers. You bring it to your media career, Robbie. I see it all the time, and every time we interact after a podcast. Thank you, guys. Brilliant. Thank you for listening. If you're hearing this on Five Live, you can download the podcast for an extended version of the show at the Five Live website and all the usual podcast places. Please use the hashtag FredSavSide to get in touch with us through the week. If you could leave a review on iTunes, that would be fantastic. A big thank you to everyone who's already done that. We'll be back next week at the same time. For now, from all of us, goodbye. On digital and online. This is BBC Radio 5 Live. BBC.co.uk slash 5 Live.
0: Listen to your favorite podcasts on any device with Pocket Casts. You can start an episode on your phone during your commute, pick up where you left off on your laptop at work, then finish at home on a smart speaker like Alexa without missing a beat. Download the free Pocket Casts app today for Android or iOS. Find us online at PocketCast.com or use the app on Alexa, Chromecast, Sonos, Apple Watch, and CarPlay.